When I first began preaching, I would usually choose the dates based on the gospel reading for the day. That is, was it a reading about which I felt I had something to say? Something relevant to diaconal themes of social justice and service? Or to my own particular call, promoting health and healing? And I almost always focus on the gospel reading because I feel, too, that this is, a di is diaconal as well, exemplified by how deacons read the gospel, taking it out into the congregation and ultimately the world. So I guess you could say that I felt I had really arrived when I was able to say yes to the rector about preaching on a particular date, even without looking at the gospel reading for the day. But today's gospel reading certainly is putting that arrival to the test. Apocalyptic writings have never been my favorite ones to preach on. Even Father Raymond Brown, distinguished professor at Union Theological Seminary, author of some 25 books on the Bible, and who Time Magazine called probably the premier Catholic scripture scholar in the US, called this section of Mark, quote, a collection of dire prophetic warnings and apocalyptic signs, and conceded that interpretation presents many problems. <laughs> so what do I do when I don't understand a passage? I start by trying to put the reading in its historical context, looking at where it falls within the gospel, what happened before it, what happens after. The reading for today from Mark takes place in what has been called Jesus' Jerusalem ministry. That is, the period at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and before the Last Supper. In these few days, Jesus behaves in a manner that alienates both the Roman and Jewish administrations, provoking the hostility of almost every religious party and institution in official Judaism. His cleansing of the temple, overturning the money changers' tables and disrupting the sale of sacrificial animals, was viewed as a dangerous attack on the Sadducees in charge of maintaining the sanctuary. As Jesus moved through the temple courts filled with Passover pilgrims, Mark shows him in a series of hostile confrontations with religious leaders, ending with the reading we heard last week, where Jesus denounced the scribes who devoured widows' houses and prayed for show, and praised the poor widow who gave two copper coins. Today's reading immediately follows his praise of this poor widow's sacrifice in the temple. And we hear that as they were coming out of the temple, an unnamed disciple says, look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like quite a non sequitur after Jesus has just told them, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. I imagine the disciples were not quite sure what to make of his declaration. And in the awkward silence that followed, someone just said the first thing that came into their head. Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. And yes, the temple was indeed a great architectural achievement, and its enormous stones reportedly mystified many. Thus, Jesus' response was all the more shocking not only because of this magnificent structure, but also because it was the place that many Jews believed to be the closest point of contact between God and God's people. 
Jesus' pronouncement of the temple's inevitable destruction in today's gospel was thus an admonishment to his followers, like last week with the scribes and the poor widow, that they need to look beyond appearances. Again, awkward silence. It isn't until Jesus and his disciples are up on the Mount of Olives that anyone says anything. We hear that Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately to explain his proclamation. Maybe all the disciples were wondering what Jesus meant, and none of them wanted to ask, so they sent these four, part of the inner circle, as the first four disciples to be called to find out. And then it gets really weird. Warnings of false prophets, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. This is the apocalyptic part, I think. But not too unlike what we are hearing today about it today in the news. Some think fake news has replaced false prophets. Wars and rumors of wars continue unabated. Earthquakes, check. Famines, check. We do not have to go far to find examples of tragedies and other apocalyptic images in our world today. The shootings at the Border Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks and the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Hurricanes Michael and Florence. The violence in Central America that is driving so many migrants to seek asylum at our borders. And of course, what has been on everyone's minds this week are the wildfires that have been raging in our state over the last 10 days. Some of you here today experienced this firsthand. Others know people affected. Even for those who don't, the news has shared harrowing ordeals. For example, people trying to get out of Paradise, California, and the long line of traffic forcing some to abandon their cars and set on, off on foot. One evacuee shared that all we could do was pray as they drove through flames. Another survivor whose car battery died as they were trying to leave and managed to hail a ride from a man in a pickup truck said, it was hell on earth getting out of here. The loss is tremendous. Between the Camp Fire in Northern California and the Woolsey Fire in Southern California, at last count, nearly 250,000 acres burned, 74 fatalities, over 1,000 people still reported missing, more than 80,000 people evacuated, and nearly 13,000 structures destroyed and another 57,000 in, still in danger. And the effects extend, extend well beyond those directly affected, with Northern California now recording the worst air quality in the world. The air quality index in San Francisco was 357 on Friday afternoon. The second worst air quality index in the world is Baca, Bangladesh at 284. People in San Francisco are lining up to buy special air masks. Others are filling emergency rooms with asthma attacks and other severe lung problems. Certain groups are unable, like the homeless, are unable to heed the warnings to stay inside. Governor Jerry Brown has called this the new abnormal. And there are other downstream effects. Research has found that major catastrophes like hurricanes and fires increase an area's poverty rate. This is because wealthy residents often can leave while low-income residents can't and end up putting their resources into rebuilding, which affects them even more negatively financially. And of course, mass destruction of housing in a state already suffering an acute housing shortage 
has dire consequences. So, okay, news today, although perhaps very different from Jesus and Mark's day, and certainly in a place that has incredible wealth and resources as compared to so many other places in the world, still may have some parallels. But can we get any inspiration from today's reading? I think we must look to the last sentence of the reading. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Now, any woman who has had children knows that the beginning of the birth pangs is for most an exciting yet also frightening time. There is great anticipation. The result is something that one has been looking forward to. There is great joy, although first one must go through some amount of suffering along the way. In this phrase, Jesus is warning his disciples about their own trials and tribulations to come, as well as foreshadowing his own suffering, which is the path to salvation. As Christians, we know that salvation offers us both hope and challenge. Hope that the birth pangs do indeed lead to new life and joy. And challenge that as persons who have experienced God's grace, we act out of love towards others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an early 20th century German theologian who was imprisoned and killed by the Nazis for his resistance, knew suffering intimately. And he wrote extensively about the hope and challenge of following Christ. His poem, Sorrow and Joy, is a powerful statement about the relationship between these two extreme human experiences. In it, he talks about how sorrow and joy are indistinguishable from one another. He also recognizes that the constant onslaught of suffering in our world can numb many, leaving them without compassion. This, according to Bonhoeffer, is the moment for the rest of us whose, quote, loyal hearts can change the face of sorrow, softly encircling it with love's most gentle, unearthly radiance. What then can we do to change the face of sorrow? How can we softly encircle it with love's most gentle, unearthly radiance? In terms of the wildfires, last year the youth group donated their $1,600 raised through the pancake breakfast to those affected by the wildfires last year. Certainly, donations of money and other goods for those affected is a very concrete action. The Episcopal Diocese of Los Angeles has set up a website where you can do just that edlagives.org, and it's in your announcements. Uh, for longer-term strategies, consider joining a group like the Climate Reality Project, which has a Los Angeles chapter that educates the public about climate change and helps advocate for forward-thinking legislation. And in talking with Joyce this morning, there certainly will be opportunities possibly to support uh, St. Aidan's members and others affected in Malibu and she will keep us posted about those. Of course, as noted earlier, there are numerous other tragedies and types of suffering. The important thing is that we do not, as Bonhoeffer warned, become, quote, sated, if only by the monotony of unrelieved happiness, turning away from the drama, disillusioned, uncompassionate. Instead, let us do what we are told in the Hebrews reading today, hold fast, to the confession of our hope without wavering, for God is faithful. 
and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as we are today, but encouraging one another. We are to pray for and stand in solidarity with those suffering and opening our hearts in small and large ways, act in love. This is perhaps our most sacred duty and the fullest expression of our faith. Amen.